0: You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, it's part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings to all, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Thursday show, my co-host Nick Lee. Glad to have you on board. We've got a bunch on tap today, including a look at some potential trade partners for the Seahawks moving down from pick number 56 and a closer look at a few linebacker edge candidates who could intrigue Seattle coming up in the draft later this month. This show is brought your way by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks, Kerry Hyder has taken a bit of an unconventional path to having a lengthy, successful NFL career. It's been a bit of a roller coaster at times for him. Coming out of Texas Tech, undrafted, he was a 290-pound tweener. Nobody really knew if he was going to be a defensive end or if he was going to be a defensive tackle. And then you look at his combine testing numbers that made things even more mystifying he ran a 5.1 40 yard dash which is pretty darn slow for an edge defender but he also ran a 4.25 second short shuttle which was faster than golden tape by the way <laughs> and he also ran a 7.23 second three cone drill which was only 0.02 seconds slower than ugo amati So we're talking about a guy that has really good quickness and change of direction skills, even though his straight line speed isn't great. Now he's around 270 pounds. You look at the path that he's taken now to coming to Seattle. He had a huge year for the Lions in 2016. That was two years after he was on the practice squad for most of the year with the Jets coming into the league. And then he has an Achilles tear that cost him the entire 2017 season. And then he's a reserve for a couple of years, ends up in San Francisco, thinks he's just going to be playing a rotational role and then opportunity knocks. A bunch of guys get hurt, including Nick Bosa. He gets eight sacks, has a breakout season, and here we are. He's playing for the team that he told reporters today that he's wanted to be with all along, and it's because his idol, Michael Bennett, the player that he's often compared to, starred in Seattle. Now he's hoping to be the next
1: Michael Bennett for this football team. Boy, if they can find another Michael Bennett and, and Kerry Heider, that's that would be an absolute steal. And, yeah, he's you know he's well-coached. The, the the defenders, especially the defensive line, they're well-coached in San Francisco, or at least they were <laughs> before Robert Sala moved to New York. Um, he, he was an excellent edge defender for the Niners, earned an overall grade of 68.6 from pro football focus, eight and a half sacks and 49, 49 combined tackles and 14 starts. And it, it is fitting that he ends up in Seattle. And I mean, he even says – Quoted, that's the guy I've looked up to in the league, a guy that I've modeled my game after. That's one of the reasons why I've always pictured myself in Seattle, because I, I kind of want to see myself in that same type of role as Mike, as Michael Bennett. Certainly, Michael Bennett had an excellent career in Seattle. And, and Kerry Heider does um, have a, a great opportunity here. Um, three-year contract and coming off of a really successful season, and the Seahawks need him. And I, I think that this is a, a golden opportunity where he, he was he was productive. He got his contract, and now he's finally made it. I guess in, in the NFL, this is his truly I've made it moment, and now it's time to go prove it. Now it's time to go prove that you not only belong, but that you can stay there because, of course, in the NFL we know that what have you done for me lately? It's the NFL not for long. How long can he can he stay that productive? And and some of the time you, know, you see in, in baseball or basketball where a guy just bursts out of the scene that's unknown, and he, he does well for a while. Then the guys get film on him. Guys start to learn learn tendencies like pitches for baseball or or how whatever have you, um, and then they kind of fade off. And so this will be a really good test to see just what they have in Kerry Hyder. One of the things Hider mentioned today was that he
0: was excited about coming to Seattle is that he looks at this defensive line and he said he wasn't paying much attention early in the year. Obviously he was playing for division rivals. So he wasn't going to be watching the Seahawks all the time. He was focusing on the 49ers, but he noticed as the season progressed that the defense was playing much better. And he's excited about the group they already have on that defensive line. And he believes with what he was able to accomplish in San Francisco last year, what he did in Detroit in 2016, he believes that Clint Hurt's going to show the confidence in him that the 49ers coaching staff did. And he's going to get his opportunities to play a lot of snaps at the base defensive end spot as well as reduced inside. And I've never been a huge fan of comparing players coming into the league to former players. Every player's got their own unique set of skills. Obviously, there's certain players that look more comparable to others. But it seems like it's been an exhaustive process for the Seahawks trying to find that next Michael Bennett, because Malik McDowell, believe it or not, was supposed to be potentially that guy. And we know Malik McDowell never even played in a training camp practice for the Seahawks. And then L.J. Collier, maybe L.J. Collier still ends up becoming a player that's fairly similar, but we haven't quite seen the pass-rushing ability from him, and I don't know necessarily that the first step is as quick. Watching Kerry Hyder's film, though, again, you go back to those testing scores coming out of Texas Tech, there are only eight players, Nick, in combine history dating back to 2000 per pro football reference. There's only eight 290-plus-pound guys that have ran the three-cone drill and the short shuttle in faster times than what Kerry Hyder did. One of them was J.J. Watt. And I'm not telling you that Kerry Hyder is J.J. Watt, but my point is you rarely see guys of that size that have that kind of change of direction skills. And a few of those players that were on that list didn't do much in the NFL. But Kerry Hyder has had a lot of success when he's had opportunities in this league and he's been healthy. That's the big X factor here. And so you put him with the rest of this defensive line, even if he doesn't quite reach the sack totals he had a year ago, he had 19 quarterback hits. If he is able to get close to replicating that and he's creating pressure, he's given you a solid effort as a run defender to go with that. Even if he's only playing 50, 55% of the snaps, then he's totally earned the money. It's not like they broke the bank signing him and yet, he was excited about the money he got because up to this point he had never been a coveted free agent at all this year the Seahawks made him a priority and now he has a chance to reward them
1: for that. interesting you bring up the 50% thing in the he's been in the league for six years and it's kind of kind of interesting to think about that and he made a good point during his press conference that yeah, I've been in the league a while but I don't have the mileage that the other guys do because I haven't, haven't started as much. I haven't played every single week. Um, So that is beneficial to the Seahawks and looking at his numbers, his snap numbers, he's gotten, he's had, he's been able to get at least 50% of the defensive snaps for his team, two different years. That's 2016 and 2020. Both of those years, he had at least eight sacks. So if he has at least 50% of the defensive snaps, he gets at least eight sacks. So sounds like this is a guy that is a, I don't know about a sleeping giant, but you give him 50% of the defensive snaps, watch what he can do. Boy, the Seahawks sure could have used another five, six, seven snap or sacks from their defensive line last year. Um, so if, if you can give him that opportunity, and he he still matches that level of productivity that he's had in Detroit in 2018, and San Francisco in 2020, and with his f- mostly fresh legs after six years of kind of off and on starting Uh, I I think you really could have a gem here. Yeah, I think he does have
0: a lot in the tank. You know, you hear every player say that, but certainly he has not had the playing time that a lot of soon-to-be 30-year-old defensive ends in this league have. And some of it's been because of injury. Some of it's been because when he entered the league, he was a practice squad player that was still developing. The Jets really didn't know what to do with him at that point. The Lions weren't sure, and so I'm very intrigued after watching this film. You can check out the film breakdown that I just did. It's on the Seahawk Maven website, about 11 minutes in length. You can see some of the great things that Kerry Hyder did last year, and I think with the rest of the talent the Seahawks have amassed that defensive line, he's going to have an opportunity to come close to or even exceed what he did to the 49ers last season. That's the kind of talent the Seahawks believe they have now on that defensive line when we come back in the second quarter everyone's expecting john schneider to trade down from pick 56 in the second round the seahawks only have three picks need to find a way to recoup some picks we're going to look at some teams that could be potential targets for trading down for john schneider when we get to draft weekend later this month you're listening to the locked on seahawks podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it is now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the counterman orders the parts on his computer, choosing the only brand his warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com and in your pocket. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low, and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car and truck. Right, locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection. Reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Nick Lee. We're covering everything you need to know about the Seahawks, but what about the rest of sports? Now the Locked On podcast network has you covered there as well with Locked On Today. It's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski, and it's all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to the Locked On Today podcast, Wherever you get podcasts, we expect when the draft gets here on April 29th, the Seahawks are not going to be making any selections in the first round. But on the 30th, they'll finally have the opportunity pick 56, the only pick they have in the first three rounds. Everyone's expecting John Schneider is going to trade down at least once, if not more, from that position if he's able to do so. It's much tougher to trade down. Late second round than it is late first round. The pick just isn't as valuable. And you look at all the trade charts that are out there. You and I are both partial now to the Rich Hill chart. That seems to be the one that's closer to what teams use these days when they're trading down. The Seahawks' 56th overall pick is valued at 98 points. Now, you can still get some good value trading down with that selection, but it doesn't come anywhere close to, even when the Seahawks have been picking the end of the first round, they're not going to be fetching the same returns from teams. That being said, Nick, we've had the opportunity to actually look at the draft board, some of the teams that are below the Seahawks, and it's easy for fans to sit there and say, oh, we'll find a trade partner, because when I was on the Pro Football Network Simulator, this team traded with me. Well, just because a simulator did it doesn't mean it's going to happen in real life. There are some teams that are below the Seahawks that are not going to be trade-down candidates. But there are some other teams that maybe have more picks they can afford to move up for a player, or there may be some teams that have a couple really glaring needs at the end of the second round, early third round, that may be willing to
1: trade up if the right player is still there at pick 56. Yeah, that's the really the wild card of the draft is, are you going to have some like, gas mask video come out or you know a player starts falling that you don't see falling all of a sudden your pick does become pretty darn valuable i'm not expecting you know that to happen to a quarterback that you assume is happening in the first round but crazy things happen but that does not mean that the Seahawks cannot trade down and get some value out of it i think the hard part corbin will be trading down but still staying in the second round i think that's that's where the true challenge um, comes and th- we we ran through a couple scenarios. You and I, um, one that I ran into that that could possibly keep you in the second round is with the Buccaneers, the defending Super Bowl champion. They're at sixty-four, the last pick of the second round. Granted, because they are the Super Bowl champions, using the Rich Hill trade value, um, you get if you trade from fifty-six to sixty-four, the last pick of that second round. You could get back the the fourth round pick from the Bucks at, at number one thirty seven, and then also maybe squeeze out that Mister Irrelevant pick in the seventh round, the number two fifty nine. Um, so that getting the so trading back to sixty four, and then getting a fourth rounder and a seventh rounder later in those rounds, um, that is maybe the only realistic thing I can drum up, Corbin, that would keep them in the second round. Yeah, I look at most of the teams that are below them. Right behind them at pick 57, the Rams,
0: have only six picks. I don't see any way, and those teams are division rivals. They're not going to be making trades with each other in the draft, most likely. The Ravens at 58 don't have as many picks. I don't see that being a team that's going to be trying to move up just two spots. I guess it's possible... The Saints at 60, they're in a tough spot. I don't see them trading up. Buffalo, maybe. It depends what players available there. Really, the three teams at the end of the round, Green Bay has a ton of day three picks. And we know with John Schneider's past background working for the Packers, he has traded down with them several times. even tried to do it last year, and Green Bay ended up trading one spot in front of him so they could pick Jordan Love. And so that was one of the huge storylines in the entire first round. A year ago, Seattle ended up taking Jordan Brooks with its native first round pick. They couldn't find any other suitors to trade down. But Green Bay is a team to look for. Kansas City's got eight picks. I don't know that Kansas City's going to be looking to trade up with where they're at right now. But maybe if there's a tackle they really want, maybe that's a team that might trade up a few spots with Seattle. Tampa Bay, they're pretty loaded, even though that seems like it might be the best scenario as far as trade compensation. I don't know that they're going to be looking to trade up either. So really realistically, I think Seattle's best bet to trade down is probably early third round when you've got some teams that were really bad last year that have a lot of picks and they have a lot of holes to fill. Jacksonville still has a lot of things they need to do to address their roster around their new quarterback, which we presume is going to be Trevor Lawrence, unless there's a shocker and they end up taking another quarterback. Lawrence is going to be the guy, but they need to put pieces around him. I can see Jacksonville if the right player is there, a receiver or something that they haven't drafted earlier is there at pick 56. I could see him move up. The Jets, we know the Seahawks have a history trading with them. I don't know the Jets will do that. But again, that's a team that has a lot of holes to fill. If the right player is available, they might be calling John Schneider. The Texans have six picks. They have no first or second rounders. I don't see them trying to move up. I think they're going to be trying to trade down if they can. Atlanta as a team. It depends how things unfold in the first few rounds. To me, the wild card here is the Cincinnati Bengals at 69 because you already got your quarterback in Joe Burrow but they need to upgrade the offensive line. They could use another receiver for him to throw to. They could use a tight end. Their defense has a bunch of holes. That's a team where if the right player falls to 56, I could see Cincinnati calling and saying, hey, what's it going to take for us to be able to move up? And they've got enough picks that I think the Seahawks could be able to strike a
1: deal with them. And once you start talking about dropping from 56 down to 69 or in the 70s, that is where you can probably see some decent compensation. Um, that is a pretty big fall. So, of course, with that trading back, there's some give and take. Of course, where mm-hmm. you might have, like a guy that's a, that's 10 spots away, that gets taken right before he, or when you trade down, that'll get taken before you can pick again. Um, another one I got my eyes on too that I kind of have my bit of my ear to the ground as well. The Eagles. I, I come from an Eagles family, and they're they're all the talk about the draft right now because um, they're kind of a dark place. <laughs> um, those Eagles. Um, so they've done a lot of moving around with with draft picks. Um, did a bunch of trades a couple weeks ago. Um, they have a good good host of draft picks in the mid rounds. I think that if you want to drop back to seventy with the with the Eagles, you can get back a, a mid round or mid level fourth round pick and pick one twenty three, and then get another you know, higher seventh round pick. So if another another fourth and a seventh scenario, but it would be higher in those rounds with the Eagles. So that's another that's another suggestion there if you want to drop back to 70 yeah as soon as you get into the 70s i think that you might need to twist the arm a little bit of those teams to maybe squeeze out one more pick fourth and seventh from the eagles at 70 might be not enough i think
0: yeah that would not be the ideal circumstance if you're moving down from 56 to say 75 76 you're moving down 20 spots That is not ideal, but as you said on the flip side, if you're dropping that far, you can demand a lot more like, hey, I'm not going to trade down unless you give me an offer that I absolutely cannot refuse. There is one team at pick 78, the Minnesota Vikings, and a lot of this is stemming from last year. They made a bunch of trade downs in the middle rounds, and they just amassed an incredible number of picks, and so they've got a ton of day three selections. The downside, obviously, is that we're talking mid-third round now. You're trading down 20 spots, 22 spots to be exact, to get there. It might be a team that if you're trying to trade down twice that you have an eye on because I could see a scenario where you trade down to pick 78, you get pick 119. We're talking a mid-fourth rounder, which would be nice right now, and pick 157. According to the Rich Hill trade chart, that would be about equal. I could even see the Seahawks saying, well, you sweeten the pot a little bit. Give us one more seven round pick. The Vikings have them. So suddenly you could go from three selections to having six in a matter of seconds. So I could see John Schneider looking at the Vikings as a potential team to trade down with. I just don't know that he's going to want to do it going from 56 to 68. If he makes a trade with a team that's higher on the board and then has a few guys that are still available and he wants to trade down again, then the Minnesota Vikings could make a ton of sense there that's really not where you want to trade down, though. If that's your only trade down option, dropping 20 spots, that is going to allow a lot of really good players to come off the board, and now you're in a really
1: tricky spot. It does get tough, and this isn't Madden, you know. It, it's it takes two to tango. You can't force these trades. They, they, the team that's trading with you also has to agree to trade up and give up a bit of their draft capital to get your spot. So it's not necessarily always what you want and what you see fit it's the other team's got to agree to it so uh, there's a lot of weird factors in there like what is the relationship with the Seahawks and that team you mentioned the Packers is a good suitor other teams might not think so highly of the Seahawks and, and doing business with them I don't know that there could be some weird things going on and you know these guys talk all the time and I'm sure John Schneider talks to some GMs over others more um, but yeah it takes two to tango so it's it's not always going to be exactly what you want because you can't put on the forced trade settings like in Madden.
0: Yeah, and I think the other thing that's really going to make this interesting is we know how different of a pre-draft process this has been without a scouting combine relying so heavily on pro days and the senior bowl. Scouting was much different during the college football season. A lot of teams didn't play a normal number of games. Your lower-level schools didn't play at all. And so I'm wondering how that is going to ultimately impact how willing teams are to trade up. I don't know how it's going to impact things. There might be some players that drop that normally wouldn't. And now teams are going to be scrambling like I've got to trade up to get that guy. Or you could be in a situation like I just don't know as much about these players as I normally would. So I'm reluctant to trade up. It could be very difficult to move down. From 56 and we don't know how the draft board is going to unfold so all of this is fluid but that is again what makes the draft so much fun and this year it's going to be even more mystifying than normal given the circumstances when we return for the third quarter we're going to shift back to our draft preview series we looked at defensive ends yesterday we're going to be looking at linebackers and sam linebackers specifically for the seahawks that they could select in the second fourth and seventh rounds we'll be right back you're listening to the locked on seahawks podcast Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL are in full swing. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, real time updated odds and props, and almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me today, Nick Lee. The NFL Draft is weeks away. It's time to start following our Locked On NFL Draft duo. The Draft Dudes podcast watches every prospect So that you don't have to and the locked on NFL draft podcast is your daily draft news and mock draft podcast. Follow locked on NFL draft and draft dudes on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. Yesterday we looked at defensive ends. That's a position group that with the addition of Kerry Hyder, bringing back Carlos Dunlap and Benson Mayoa, you've got Daryl Taylor and Allen Robinson returning. Probably not a position the Seahawks are going to have much emphasis, if any, on in the draft, especially with only having three picks going into the draft. Linebacker we may look at somewhat the same because they have used a lot of draft picks on linebackers recently. Last year, their first round pick was on Jordan Brooks, which really shocked a lot of people. Brooks ended up having a pretty solid rookie season for the Seahawks, though. Played a lot of snaps in the last 75% of the season. And then the year before Cody Barton and Ben Irvin were both picked in the middle round. So the Seahawks have been using a lot of draft capital the last couple of years, a linebacker spot at the same time, you still got a man by the name of KJ Wright that remains unsigned. And while right now, if I was a betting man, I would say that he is going to be back in Seattle. We don't know. There are a few other teams that are probably sniffing around. The Cowboys had been linked to him. It sounds like maybe that interest is a bit lukewarm at this point, but Nick, they do potentially have a Sam linebacker position open, and so when I've been evaluating linebackers in this process, for the most part, your off-ball linebackers, I haven't been looking too closely at, even though Bobby Wagner's getting older, maybe they should start looking at who's going to be our running mate next to Jordan Brooks, if they don't believe Cody Barton can be that player, Barton's already going to be in his third year. I've mostly been looking at Sam linebackers. So there's going to be an emphasis on players that fit that particular position, at least from my perspective, looking at the second round. I know a lot of Seahawk fans would be really upset if they used another high draft pick, especially with the lack of picks they have on a linebacker. But we know from last year in the first round that John Schneider does not care what fans think. He's going to pick the best player available most, most of the time. And if the right Sam linebacker option is there, then maybe it's not out of the question the Seahawks could pick one
1: there. Yeah, I mean we know that uh, Pete Carroll loves his linebackers, and it's it's uh, it's kind of like running backs with with uh, with, with Pete Carroll. Um, so yeah, that, that's certainly not the most ideal situation. there most ideal draft pick, and that would be a very Seahawks thing to pick a linebacker first at fifty-six. That would just be like, oh, of course the Seahawks do something like that because they never pick what we want to pick. All these mock drafts. And they're so worthless when it comes, I think, of the Seahawks or of of all the NFL teams, the mock drafts are the least accurate on the Seahawks because they they have their their our kind of guys is what they call them. Um, and, and they just stick to it. And we don't know necessarily who their kind of guys are, especially, as you mentioned, with the pandemic, with the lack of scouting. Um, this could be a whole nother issue that we just don't we just that we just don't have a lot of information. Yeah, we look at the second round. I really
0: don't think there are any linebackers that I would be jumping to take at pick 56. If you trade down once or twice and there's still a really good option for a Sam linebacker prospect, then maybe I would consider there are two names that jump out to me. Chaz Surratt from North Carolina is one of my favorite linebackers this class, former quarterback. I've talked about him a bunch in this show, but a player that I haven't talked a lot about is Jabril Cox out of LSU? And this kid was fun. He played at North Dakota State, was a star there. Really looked like he was head and shoulders above everybody else. And then transferred to LSU for his final year of eligibility. And last season played for the Tigers, and he fit in quite nicely on LSU's defense. Had some learning curve that he had to deal with jumping to the SEC. But we're talking about a guy that's six foot two, two hundred and thirty three pounds. He's got nearly an 80-inch wingspan, so that really intrigued me. When I'm looking at Sam Linebacker prospects, having a guy there, even if he's a little lighter than he'd like at 233, those long arms, that's a very nice trait to have at that position, and though we didn't get to see him run at LSU's Pro Day, this guy can fly. He's got wheels. He's got great quickness. he's He's got a relentless motor. This is a player that I see some Bruce Irvin in his game. I'm not going to say he's the same type of twitchy athlete, but this guy's very athletic, and he's got natural skills dropping back into coverage. I think he could play that Sam Linebacker spot in a pinch, and I think there's a lot of untapped – pass rushing potential and blitzing potential with this kid that maybe LSU wasn't able to unlock in his one season with the program, especially a year that was as weird as the last season was for college football. Cox would be the one guy that jumps out, aside from Surratt, that if you're in the early third round, you traded down and he's still there, I might be having a difficult not having a difficult time not taking him because I think he has a big time talent that has a
1: very high ceiling. A guy that's, uh, you know, I agree. This is certainly not the area where I would be looking at Sam linebacker um, or linebackers in general, but if, I, if my arm's twisted and I really need to pick somebody, um, another one that comes to mind, I, I love Jabril Cox as well. I wrote an article about him earlier this year. Um, love the athletic traits. Pete Werner's another one that might not be the prototypical Sam, um, but I just I just like productive football players. And he was very productive. 176 tackles, 15 and a half tackles for loss. Last three years, six three two forty two, so decent size. Flies to the football, ferocious tackler, disciplined against the pass. Usually, those those are those are qualities that any any linebacker middle Sam will. Um, if you're dif- disciplined against the pass and you're a ferocious tackler, you, you're you might you're probably gonna have a spot somewhere.
0: Going into the fourth round, this is where we may be or more likely to see the Seahawks taking a linebacker now our co-host our friend rob rang would say that I'm cheating here because rob mentioned Charles snowden from Virginia on yesterday's show at the defensive end position I was putting together this list before we did yesterday's show to me snowden is an ideal fourth round pick at the sam linebacker spot he's six foot six 243 pounds I think he's a bit too lean could you put some muscle on him absolutely but He's maybe a little more lean than I would like playing the defensive end spot, but he's actually a natural drop back coverage linebacker watching the way that he plays, the athleticism, the fluidity, and I think that there's a lot of room for him to grow in that regard. Again, I'm not going to compare him to Bruce Irvin because Irvin was a freak. He really was. Coming out of West Virginia, the testing numbers he put up at his size, there's a reason that the Seahawks could not resist in the middle of the first round when a lot of people didn't have that kind of a grade on him and he's had a very good NFL career. Snowden's a player that's had some durability issues, but I see the ability to pin his ears back off the edge. I see the athleticism be able to drop back into coverage. I could see him being that hybrid guy that can play some snaps at Leo for you on passing downs, and he can also drop back, play that Sam linebacker spot, and maybe play early for you. And so I see a lot of things that entice me. He's a player that is going to take some time to develop, But I think in the fourth round, when you consider he was a senior bowl invite and just wasn't able to play because he was coming off a broken ankle injury, this is a guy that, again, there's a ton of intrigue. And I think Pete Carroll, he likes those traits-based prospects, especially on day three. Snowden would be one of those players that would certainly be a potential factor at the Sam
1: Linebacker spot as early as this year. One guy I really like um, in the middle to later rounds, you know, he's a Pac-12 had such a weird 2020 and I feel bad for these kids because a lot of these kids probably would have gotten a much better look. Um, And a guy out of Oregon State, I really like how Claire Rashad Jr. Um, Yeah, last year was kind of a wash and he was criticized for, you know, maybe maybe some lack of motor. Uh, I thought Oregon State had a a pretty decent season overall, um, all things considered, but if you look at his 2019 numbers and his 2019 tape, Rochette was one of the best pass-rushing linebackers in football. I mean, we're talking 62 tackles, 22 and a half tackles for loss, and 14 sacks in 2019. Was named all, first-team All-American by some pundits. Um, certainly first-team All-Pac-12. Was just played out of his mind. And something happened last year. Of course, last year was just weird. Um, where kind of kind of lost a little bit of steam, but boy. If you're drafting the 2019 version of Hamilcar Rochet Jr., that, that's a heck of an athlete. Um, he's super athletic a good burst of speed. Um, he, he's just a, he can be straight up dominant at times. Um, but it's just it's the question of the motor and, and what happened in 2020. But if you can get past that, uh, and he didn't show well, super well at the, at the Senior Bowl. But this is certainly an area. You know, later later in in, in day day two, day three where you can take a flyer on a guy like Rashad Jr. Because, boy, you clearly can see in 2019 that the sky may be the limit here. Now, let's talk seventh-round flyers real
0: fast because this is not a great linebacker class. There's not a lot of depth, and I was having a hard time looking at guys that I thought were going to be in the seventh round. Didn't see a lot of Sam prospects. So I think this is where you find your special teamers, your reserves that can come on in training camp and earn roster spots in the third phase of the game. And so for that reason, I'm going to go with somebody that's totally different than the first two players I listed. Tough Borland is extremely slow. He's slower than molasses. If you watch the national title game, you know just how slow he is dropping back into cover. He just doesn't move well. And you add in the fact he's undersized 6'1", 229. That is not a good combo. You're not athletic and you're small, but, Tough Portland is a tough dude. This kid played a lot of snaps at Ohio State, a reliable tackler, a really high football IQ that offsets a lot of his athletic deficiencies. Put up some pretty good numbers at Ohio State. 228 tackles the last four years. He is a player I'd be willing to take a shot on in the seventh round. Because I think he could at least come in and play as a kickoff coverage and punt coverage guy. It's never a bad thing to add another player like that. Just don't ask him to cover Devonte Smith, please,
1: please don't, please don't ask him to cover him. Well, no one covered him in that title game, uh, at least not well for <laughs> very long. <laughs> um, Yeah, this is certainly the round where you look at the the special teamers guys and a guy that I like. And I, I like reading about the word instinctual when it comes to linebackers because in the NFL, when you think of an instinctual linebacker, you think of Bobby Wagner. Now you're not looking for the next Bobby Wagner in the seventh round here at 250, but I, I like I like a guy like Isaiah McDuffie out of Boston College. 107 tackles, six and a half tackles for loss, and three sacks last year. Also threw an interception. Just seems to always be around the ball. Uh, has a nose for the football as it were might not have a high ceiling perhaps as the other guys around him but I think he might have a higher floor than some of the other guys just a sure tackler keeps things in front of him uh, and if you want to throw him in at linebacker in the, in the actual defense he's shown ability in the past coverage he's played in a really tough athletic conference in the ACC and uh, you said 228 tackles over four years I'll do you two better 230 tackles over four years was Isaiah McDuffie 15 and a half tackles for loss and eight and a half sacks and a pick and, and a, a couple fumbles forced. And so he's just all around the football. And he, that's certainly a guy you want on special teams at the least.
0: Yeah, I think both those players looking at Boylan and McDuffie, they're both players that are going to be good special teams contributors. And maybe just maybe with the right coaching because their football IQs and their tackling abilities, maybe they can be two down linebackers in the NFL. So those are guys that are worth taking a flyer on when you get to the sixth, seventh round, especially when it's not a position of great need. That's when you would add some insurance policies, players that you can develop that maybe fits in your system. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at Nick Lee 51. Follow Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and the all new Odyssey app that's AUD. A-C-Y. Make sure to leave us a review. Coming up on our final show of the week for Blue Friday, I'll be answering your questions in our Blue Friday mailbag, plus tight ends in our latest draft preview. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Go Hawks!